Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. And we're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. In the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John, I believe Jesus made one of the most counter-cultural statements in all of the New Testament. He was with his disciples, and here's what he said. He said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And I believe with that one statement, Jesus disarmed all the superficial external things that people use to mark their faith. I would imagine when he said that, that many of the disciples were thinking, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? But nonetheless, when Jesus clarified how the world would know those who were followers of him, he exclusively talked about their love for one another. We are in a verse-by-verse study right now as a fellowship through the New Testament book of 1 John. And currently, we're in a series within that study called A Believer's Walk. And throughout this series, we have said that your walk is the way you live your life. It's that simple. Your walk is how you live. It's how you live your life. And in 1 John chapter 2, a man by the name of John is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about some evidences that are in the life of a person who is truly following Jesus. And so far, here's what he said. He said, when a person is really walking in the light, when they're truly following Jesus, they're going to desire to forsake sin and walk in victory through their relationship with Christ. That's one thing that he's already unpacked for us that is a clear evidence of someone who's walking in the light. He's also told us that another evidence of someone who is walking in the light is they obey God. When they're walking in the light, they are doing what God tells them to do. And today, we're going to come to a third evidence that John identifies in these verses. And the evidence he's going to share with us today is that when someone is walking in the light, there is a love for other people. 
John is going to share with the believers he's writing to what he heard straight from the mouth of Jesus in John chapter 13. So if you have a Bible this morning, look with me in 1 John chapter 2. And I want to pick up reading right where we left off last Sunday. So I'm going to start reading in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 7. Here's what the Bible says. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. In verse 11. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness. And walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I was called to ministry um, when I was in college. And I'm the kind of guy, if I'm in with something, I'm all in. Like I'm a really passionate, intense type person. And so when I was called to ministry... I naturally wanted to give that same attention and same passion to what God had called me to. And I was really zealous, probably too overconfident. And I remember one of my mentors sat me down early on when I had expressed that God was calling me to ministry. And he said, Travis, I want to tell you something. You're a very, very passionate, extreme kind of person. But as you begin what I pray is a lifetime of following Jesus in ministry. I want to challenge you. If you are going to be extreme in anything, be extreme in loving other people. And I believe the heart of that message from my mentor so many years ago is really the heartbeat that John is writing with here in these verses that we just read. He's writing about this incredible passion we are to have as followers of Jesus to love one another. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to ask and answer three very, very simple questions to unpack this passage of Scripture that we just read. And here's the first question. What is the commandment? We see in these verses multiple times that John is referencing a commandment. What specifically is that commandment? Well, when Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment? He answered by quoting the Old Testament. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 22, but here's what Jesus said. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God 
with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. And this is the one that we're talking about today. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. You see, regardless of the background of those who were reading John's letter, they were familiar with the commandment to love one another. And not only were they familiar with it, they were aware of the expectation that they were to obey it. That's why John says in verse 7, I'm writing an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. This commandment of loving one another, it was known, familiar, and talked about among believers in this day. So at its very core, that's the commandment that's being talked about in these verses, which begs a second question. What makes this commandment new? He says in verse 8, On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you. Now, at first glance, it appears like John is saying two different things about the same commandment. And in essence, he is. In verse 7, he says it's old. In verse 8, he says it's new. So which is it and what makes it new? Well, it's actually both. And let me show you what makes it new. In the Gospel of John, we read Jesus saying these words about his disciples loving one another. Here's what he says. He says, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another. Now, that's the old part. That's what every person was familiar with. When he said those three words, all of the disciples were like, yep, got it. I know. I've been told that from the beginning. But what he said next changed everything. He said, love one another even as I have loved you. You see, with those last six words, Jesus brought deeper meaning to what it meant to love another person. I believe there are two dynamics that Jesus laid out here that makes this commandment new. First of all, what makes it new is Jesus. You see, before we had a law, now we have a life. The law dimly painted a standard and showed us that we could never reach that standard. But Jesus came so that we would have so much more than just a law to interpret. You see, Jesus gave us a life we could look to. As you study the Gospels, you see Jesus' life. You see God in the flesh interfacing in personal relationships, showing us what it looks like to interface and care for and love other people. John MacArthur said this in his commentary. Even though the Old Testament taught the duty to love, never before had perfect love 
been so plainly manifested as it was in the incarnate Christ. Jesus made this new. He gave us a a life we could look to, but also Jesus gave us a life that we could live. He did not merely come to be an example for us to follow. Jesus came to be our life. The reality of the gospel is that Christ comes to live in me by his spirit at the moment of salvation. And the new life that I experience is not just a better version of me. It is Christ in me. That's fresh. That's new. Look at this reality. Jesus did not come to be my helper. Jesus came to be my life. There's a newness to this commandment because of Jesus. We had a law. Now we have a life. Amen? Amen. The second dynamic that I believe makes this commandment new is the church. You see, before the command was general. Now the command is specific. Jesus not only came to give us his life, but he came to birth a community. And among this community called the church, his followers were to live out their relationship with him in fellowship with one another. As the body of Christ, we are a living demonstration of Christ to the world. And Jesus said, the way that the world is going to know you belong to me is they're going to see the way that you love each other. Rick Warren said this. I thought this was powerful. Jesus said our love for each other, not our doctrinal beliefs, is our greatest witness to the world. When we come together in love as a church family from different backgrounds, race, and social status, it is a powerful witness to the world. You see, with that statement, when Jesus said, I want you to love people as I have loved you, he brought richer and deeper meaning to this commandment that has been around for ages. So that is how the commandment is new. Because of Jesus and because of what he established in his family, the church. So that brings up a third question. And this question is where we're going to spend the remainder of our time this morning. What is the application for me today? If that's what the commandment is, and that's why it's new, what does that mean for us today as followers of Jesus? Well, John transitions in this text as he moves into verse 9. And he gives an example of a person who is truly obeying this commandment and someone else who is not obeying this commandment. And the way that he writes it in this passage, it forces all of us to have to answer the question today, am I in the darkness or am I in the light? Last Sunday, as Pastor Tom was teaching, he made this statement. He said, the believers walk with God 
will be revealed in the believer's obedience to the truths of God. Meaning, if you're a follower of Jesus, there is going to be obedience to the Father in your life. But I want us to recognize this morning the difference between verses 3 through 6 and then verses 9 through 11 that we're looking at today. In verses 3 through 6, John is writing about the commandments in general. When he gets to verses 9 through 11, he is going to get very, very specific. He's going to talk about the person's love for others. John Stott said this, The true Christian who knows God and walks in the light both obeys God and loves his brother. The genuineness of his faith is seen in his right relation to both God and his fellow human beings. Now, these examples that John's going to give us in just a moment, um, they're pretty intense. John doesn't leave a whole lot of gray area in these verses. He is very direct in what he says. He is telling us that when you look at the way a person does or does not love other people, it ultimately clarifies if they're in the darkness or if they're in the light. So I want us to look at these two uh, cases, if you will, that he gives in verses 9 and 10. Here's the first case. He's talking about someone who professes to know God without possessing a love for others. Look at verse 9. He says, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. John is telling us that there will be people who profess, they say that they're in the light. And they may sound spiritual, they may articulate all the right words, and they may even outwardly look the part. But he says, however, when they stop talking and they move on in living their life, if you see an attitude or an action of hatred, you need to know that they're still in the darkness. John MacArthur said this, what makes false disciples so difficult to detect is that they often have the outward trappings of genuine disciples, such as visible morality, an intellectual knowledge of the Bible, and even a level of involvement in the church. But such things are neutral. They neither prove nor disprove the genuineness of a person's faith. You see, what all true believers possess is a love that is only possible through a relationship with God and a lifestyle of loving other people that is only possible as we abide in our relationship with him. So that's the first case that John shares here, is someone who says with their mouth, I love you, I care about you, 
I'm one of you. But when you look at their life, it's full of hate. John says, that person's not in the light. That person's in the darkness. Verse 10, he gives a second case. And this case is someone who knows God and reveals it by their love for others. Look at verse 10. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Here's the reality. If we have been made new in Christ, forgiven of our sin, adopted into God's family, given eternal life, and granted access to a holy God that we rebelled against, how can that not translate into a compassionate, sacrificial love to other people? If the life of Jesus is in us, what will be pressed out of us is unconditional love and unmerited grace to those around us. You could say it this way. Abiding in the light will result in a genuine love for others. Abiding in the light will result in a genuine love for others. You say, how is that possible? Because that's who Jesus is. And as he is in us and we depend on him, he is pressed out of us. What will be produced is a love. For other people. You could say it this way. The presence of love indicates the presence of light. The presence of love indicates that there is a presence of light. So let me stop right here and ask you the question. As you think about your life, is there a clear evidence that you love other people. I'm not asking what comes out of your mouth. I'm not asking the persona that you put before others. But in your heart, is there a genuine love for the people around you? Or do you find yourself saying one thing but acting in a totally different way. That's the challenge from verses 9 and 10 that John lays down for us. Now, as I look at this, honestly, here's what I feel in my heart. Why is it so black and white? Like, is there any wiggle room here in the kingdom of God? Because this just seems really, really intense. Well... I believe that's why he shared with us verse 11. Because what verse 11 is going to do is prove to us why love cannot exist with someone who is walking in darkness. Look at verse 11. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now here's what's in verse 11. 
four things that are true of people who are walking in the darkness. And this is really quick. First of all, they are in spiritual death. He says they're in the darkness. People who are in the darkness are spiritually dead. What can a dead person do? Absolutely nothing. And he says here that those who are in the darkness are spiritually dead. The second thing he says is that they live in total darkness. Not only does he say that they're in the darkness, he says that they walk in the darkness. So they're spiritually dead and they're living, they're walking in the darkness. The third thing he says, they do not know where they're going. He says he does not know where he is going. And the last thing he says is this, they are completely blind. That's how he finishes the verse, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Daniel Aiken wrote this about verse 11. In the darkness of spiritual death, there is an absence of love. In the absence of God in our lives. And tragically, we don't even see it. Having lived so long in the darkness, we are like blind men in a dark room who have no idea where they are or where they are going. It is a true tragedy. That's why a person who lives in the darkness cannot love another person. That was really heavy for me this week in preparing to teach you today. This whole reality of darkness. It's not just semantics. It's a reality for the majority of our planet. Everyone who has been born on the earth right now was born in this spiritual state, spiritually dead, living in darkness, unaware of where they are, and completely blind. I wrote this in my notes this week. I really thought it was just an encouragement from God. Among the billions of people who are in that very condition, God has established his church empowered by his spirit and equipped with his gospel to share with those in darkness how they can experience his eternal love. That's the reality for us. And for those of us that have been called and understand this mission to reach those who are in the darkness and see them born again into the light, God has made us a family. And one of the characteristics that is to define our family is our love for one another. John goes on in 1 John chapter 4 to write this. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. To those of us who know him, 
We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And the way the world is going to be able to identify us is by our love for one another. So here's how I want to spend our last few moments together. I want to share three challenges to those of us in the family of God as it relates to our love for one another. Here's the first thing. May we, as the people of God, as the church, as the family of God, humbly, consistently, and sacrificially love one another. As I thought this week about all the times in my life when I've been moved by the love of God through other members of his body, it's been because someone chose to humbly or consistently or sacrificially love me. I hope, if nothing else, this morning that the reality of how significant our love for one another is is refreshed in our hearts and put at the front of our minds. May we be a church that is intentional about humbly, consistently, and sacrificially loving one another. Here's a second challenge I want to give you. This one's a little harder. May we be quick to seek and grant forgiveness. We can't talk about this thing of loving one another without talking about the reality of seeking and granting forgiveness. I say this all the time. But the mission is too urgent and the world is too lost for the body of Christ to be in conflict with one another. And I know, I know how hard it is. I know what happens when you get your feelings hurt, whether someone knows they hurt your feelings or they didn't. But here, here's, what, here's what changes the game for me when I have a hard time swallowing the pill of asking for forgiveness or granting forgiveness. There is nothing that you can do to me that I haven't done a hundred times to Jesus. And every time, he has graciously and patiently forgiven me. May we be quick to seek and grant forgiveness. Here's the third challenge I want to give you. May our lips and our lives demonstrate that we are abiding in the light. I want to challenge you this week to look for some way. Maybe you have to go out of your way. To look for some way 
to love another member of the body of Christ. I don't know what that would be for you or what even comes to mind. But that there would be things that happen on a regular basis, whether it's caring for someone, encouraging someone, building someone up, that would be a clear identifier for the watching world that we are different and that what sets us apart, the way that they know we are followers of Jesus is our love for one another. Jesus said, love one another. But he didn't stop there. He said, even as I have loved you. May that be the message that is communicated from our lives as we follow Jesus here on the earth. I want to invite you to bow your head this morning. We're going to take some time now just to respond to the voice of God. Maybe you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, but you know in your heart that your priority of loving other people is not where it needs to be. And the reality is, if that's your testimony, you don't have a relationship with God's family problem. You have a relationship with God problem. Because Scripture teaches that as we press into him, what flows out is love. So maybe this morning your response needs to look like going before your father and just asking for forgiveness and begging him to further conform your heart to look like his heart. Because his heart loves people. Maybe you're here today and as we talk about loving one another, there's something very specific that God has put on your heart that is a way you know you're to go and serve, you're to go and love another member of this body or someone who's in your circle of influence. I want to encourage you to do that. Maybe this morning you recognize that your perspective is just not in the right place, that you found yourself functioning from an agenda that is focused on you rather than an agenda that is focused on others. And you just need to ask the Lord to help you rearrange your priorities and your perspective. That there would be clear evidence in your life on a daily basis that you're a disciple of Jesus and that is made evident by the way you love other people. Maybe you're here and as we talk about some of these things, specifically about being in darkness and being in light, you recognize today for the first time that you're walking in the darkness. That you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Scripture teaches that God loves us. But because of our mistakes, because of our sin, 
we can't meet his standard. We talked about it earlier with the law. We can never meet the law, so we can't earn a right relationship with God. But in his love, God the Father sent God the Son to the earth. And Jesus lived on this earth 33 years, a perfect life. And he died on a cross. And he took on him the penalty for the sins of the world. And he was put in the grave. But on the third day, by the power of God, he was raised to life, giving him the authority to give life for eternity to all those who put their faith in his finished work and in his life. And so he stands here today saying, I'm inviting you to know me. I'm inviting you to be saved, to experience forgiveness and wholeness and joy that can only be found in a relationship with me. Maybe today that's you. When we stand in just a moment and sing together, we're going to have some pastors here at the front. And if you know today that you need to be saved, we would love to connect you with a counselor who can show you from the Bible how you can begin a relationship with God today. I don't know how God's speaking to you, but we set these moments aside every Sunday for us to respond to God as he moves in our lives. So let me encourage you to be sensitive, to listen, and let's respond to our Father. Lord, these are your moments. Lord, loving one another is a big deal to us because it's a big deal to you. Lord, we want to be people who humbly, consistently, and sacrificially love one another. Lord, that's only possible through your life in us. So, Lord, I pray this morning that you would love through Hope Church. That the world would know we are your disciples. Lord, as some of us sing right now, as some of us pray, as some of us are prayed over, would you be active in these moments? Would you move? In Jesus' name I pray.